begin, uh, Hal Rawson, would you tell us uh, what are the first films that you remember seeing as a boy? Well, I recall the original films, I dare say, I recall were the ones that were made in the old days by the Edison Company, the Vitagraph Studios, the Calum and Selig. Actually, the as far as naming a picture is concerned, I doubt if I could recall that. I recall most, best of all some of the old-time actors and actresses, such as John Bunny, Maurice Costello, and by George, that's about all I can think of at Max the moment. Lindard Max Lindy. Oh, yes, Max, Max Lindy, Lindy. Yeah. yes, yes, the Frenchman, by all means. Then would you tell us uh, how, how you first began to do odd jobs for the, the film industry? Tell us a little about that. Was this around 1908? Mm -hmm. Well, no, a little, uh, relative to the 1908 incident, I was going to school up in Rhode Island, and my family were in New York City. My two brothers were members of the stock company of actors at the Vitagraph Studio, which was at that time out in Sheepshead Bay outside of Brooklyn. During the Christmas holidays, when I was visiting my family, I went to the studio, the Vitagraph Studio, and there, through my old, through an old family friend, Ralph Ince, I got a job as a bellboy in a picture. I presume it lasted one day, whether it was of longer duration, I'm not sure. But anyhow, I did actually play some scenes as a bellboy in a Vitagraph picture. And my oldest brother, at one time, had a still of me in my bellboy's uniform from taken from this picture. If by chance if Arthur can still find it, or if he still has it handy, I shall get it and have a print of that made and send it to you, because I think it would be a lot of fun. I think so, too. Then, uh, what's the next milestone? Well, I dare say the next milestone was I'd finished my schooling and so forth, and um, I had come down to New York City where I was working in, in the Wall Street area. In those days, we had a great number of holidays. In other words, the... Um, I went to work around nine o'clock, and I was through very shortly after three. With all the with the balance of the of the day on my hands, I haunted the motion picture studios because they were very attractive. I was very attracted to them, and I des and I had, had, had developed a desire to be what was then called a cameraman. This was a great position in those days, and highly respected and greatly looked up to. And I wanted to try and become a cameraman if I could. I made friends with many of the old cameramen who were very kind and considerate to me. I suppose a little nosy kid wandering around <laughs> trying to find know some of their business, but they were very pleasant to me. And I did actually work in the various studios on these holidays that, I, that, I, that, uh, that came up during my work and on Saturdays where I, whereby I would assist the cameramen. That was actually the real beginning of my going into the camera business. And I think by 1914 you had a steady job, didn't you, in Metro? Would you tell us about that? Helen? Well, in uh, 1914, the war broke out in Europe, if I recall, recall correctly, in, in, in the, um, early the late spring or, 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 mi or mid-summer. The stock exchange was closed for a period of time, so then I devoted all my efforts to the picture business, where I did quite a lot of work, as I recall it now, for the famous players, which in those days was down on 26th Street in New York City. I 
At the end of the year, in 1914, I left New York City and came to California to join my family, who were all living out here at that time. And, through the great help of my brothers and other mutual friends, I joined up with the Metro Pictures Corporation beginning the first, the very early part of January 1915. I was the assistant to a, to a very fine cameraman who is now dead by the name of Arthur Cadwell. Besides being the assistant cameraman, I was also the assistant assistant property man, the assistant 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 director. Mm -hmm. I was the still man. I was to make and develop all the, all the stills. I, I also photographed, does a print, uh, I also photographed and I processed the, 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 the films and then made the prints which were used by the stars in those days, in the pictures on which I worked on, which were used for publicity purposes. Mm -hmm. This took me up to all that summer when I then left the West Coast, the company had moved east, and I went with them and got a similar job as I had as the assistant to Cadwell in New York City. About July 1915, I was given the opportunity to photograph my first motion picture. That picture was for the Metro Pictures Corporation, and the, the director, who the director was, I do not recall at this moment, the, the, the star of the picture was an English actress by the name of Valley Valley. I wonder if you tell us a little bit about production conditions at that time, Hal. Tell us what the studio looked like and uh, how long it took to make a picture and a few things like that. Just a little sketch of <laughs> the picture for us. The, um, the, the studio that we worked in was on 61st Street and Broadway. It had formerly been a garage. It was on the top floor of quite a large building. And it, and it had had a glass roof, which was greatly desired by the picture companies. Why, I do not know, because it was immediately blacked out. But that was a great talking point of the stuff, uh, as to why this place should be a motion picture studio. <laughs> And that is the studio in which we worked. Uh, as I recall it, the, the time elements were, the, the, the time of making a picture was done, I would say, in four or five weeks. I doubt if it was very much longer than that. And uh, the, the actual making of a picture in those days and, and today are similar in many respects. In other words, we, we would go out on locations and uh, scenes would be made ex on exteriors, and we would return to the studio to make the, in to make the scenes indoors. Of course, we did not have the, the help one has now, the great number of departments that, that is in the modern studio now, we, that was none, they were unknown of in those days. In other words, a cameraman did many, many, many things. I can recall helping to paint. I can recall helping to dress people's hairs, make sure that their makeup was, was correct. Um, in fact, if I recall correctly, a slight bit of direction was also done on the cameraman's part. <laughs> I say there's no deference in due respect to the many 
to our wonderful directors of those days. They may not truly enjoy this remark, but however, that is so, I do think. What was your cranking speed at that time? In the early days, we, we, uh, we did 16 pictures to the second, and of course the cameras, there was no such thing as motors in those days, it was all done by hand. Mm -hmm. The two cameras that were greatly used in those days were the Bell and Howell camera, which was a remarkably fine precision instrument, and the so-called Pathé camera, which was a, which worked, the, the crank came out of the back of it, and you made a motion, a clock-like, a clockway, a, a, you, you went from right to left. Mm -hmm. It was sort of an awkward movement doing it now, but in those days it was not awkward, I can assure you. Did you count while you were cranking, or how, how you know I that presume you that we that that, uh, that we uh, that we started to count originally, but I imagine that through usage you 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 quickly got into stride and knew. You just felt that you were doing it at that speed because we did not have, we did not have any uh, counting device. We had a, a count. Oh, we had a footage device on the cameras, mm -hmm. but there was no device used actually on the camera to assure one of doing it at the correct speed. Once in a while, you would do it with a stopwatch if you thought there was any doubt about it. Did the camera move much in those early days, or was it usually stationary? We had a very stationary. In those days, um, the, the type of tripod we used was similar to what it is today, that is the so-called wooden tripod. Mm -hmm. But we used to have, where we wanted complete rigidity, we had little jacks that used to work. We would take two of them, one on the front and one on the back of the tripod. And by making those very tight, really fine rigidity was, was gotten from the camera. So much so that that is how we made, uh, in those days, our so-called double exposures and, and the various things that are now done within optical machines were, in those days, done on the camera. So it had to be very, quite as, as rigid as possible. Mm -hmm. And that was achieved. Do you remember making many close-ups, or, or didn't, uh, weren't those required particularly? Oh, yes. I think the technique, the style of making pictures today, the, the style of making pictures in those days are exactly as they are today. In other words, there was... I can, in fact, I can recall doing everything at that, in the early days is what we did in the, in the latter part. In other words, I can remember the camera moving, the camera dollying, inserts, close-ups of, 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 of a minute person, a minute spot on a person, such as their, their eyes, mm -hmm. the close-up of the mouth. Yeah. Yes, I think in, in what, what, what we sometimes read about in this day and age as being new is not new at all. It was done in those early days. Were you very, as a cameraman working for this company, were you, were you very conscious of the camera work and of the direction that uh, was being done in other companies like Griffiths or Sennett's or Ensis, or, or didn't you see many of their pictures at that time? Do you remember? Well, in those days we worked so blooming hard doing our own work that we didn't have too much time to see other pictures. However, there were certain companies that were greatly looked up looked up to, such as the Biograph pictures. Any time a picture was released by Biograph, particularly with Mr. Gr with Mr. Griffith's name on it, it was a must. You just had to go see it. Mm -hmm. Later on, other companies sort of superseded that position. But mm -hmm. in those days, you did manage to see all the real fine pictures. Mm -hmm. You tried to, at least. Then I think at the end of 1915, uh you had some connection with Don Bell, didn't you? Would you tell us about oh, that? Oh, yes. Don Bell, who was president of the Bell and Howell Company, was a very good friend of mine, a very fine gentleman. And he, was a, at that, that particular time, in those years, the Bell and Howell Company were introducing their Bell and Howell machine, 
which was a very fine precision type instrument and it was very expensive as compared with the other makes of cameras and not too many people were using them. However, the Donald Howell Company was endeavoring to get them into as many studios as possible and they had, and as one of their clients, was a Mr. George Kleine, the old K of Calum Company. Mr. Kleine at that time was producing pictures, a, a serial uh, picture, starring Miss Billy Burke who was a great, and I was a great plum to have gotten a person of her promise to come come from the theater to the motion picture field. They, Mr. DeBell had, had uh, the Kleine Company were using some of Mr. Bell's cameras, and there was some difficulty arising in the project, when going into the projection room. It was a question as to whether the cameras were at fault, or whether it was from the developing machines. Mr. Bell contended that it was not the camera's fault. And as a sort of a proof of his statement, he asked, could he send up a man who, who in his estimation, knew his camera very, very well, and who would speak in the way, in, in, in the, in the, from the standpoint of an authority, on the, on the Bell and Howell camera. This was agreed upon, and Don Bell asked me, would I please go up and take over this assignment? which I, and I was only too happy to do it, but it was going to be done for a limited length of time. So I then went up to the old Biograph studio where the, where the, where the Kleine Company was making these pictures with Miss Billy Burke, and in a short length of time, thank the good Lord, the results proved, the results that I obtained proved that it was not the, that the, was not the fault of the camera, it was from the usage of the old-style developing racks that were still used in the Biograph Laboratory in those days. The fault lay there and not in the camera. Uh, your mention of the developing racks uh, reminds me to ask you if you had been involved in these years in uh, the process of developing at any time, and, and if so, uh, what, was, what style was in vogue then? How did you proceed about it? Yes, that's very true. In the, er in the very early days, I not only worked in the studios, but also devoted as much time as I could to the laboratories, as they greatly intrigued me. The, the uh, practically all developing in those times was done on racks. There were vertical racks, or horizontal racks, rather. And then it was later on introduced. Who exactly did it, I don't know, but maybe the Biograph Studio did it. They introduced the so-called developing scheme that was done on drums. These drums were were, were, um, were sort of wide open, uh, wide open, uh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm confused now, I better stop now for one half second, if you don't mind. Okay. Go. I believe it was the, bi the Biograph Company, I'm low and not positive, that they introduced the so-called slatted type of drum for the developing and processing of the film. This was considered an improvement over the racks, the horizontal or vertical racks, although there was a great controversy in those early days as to which was the better. Uh, how did you personally react to... Uh uh, excuse me, had you finished about that, Hal? I think that, 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 that sort of covers that question, I do believe. 
how did you personally feel about Gloria's Romance, which was a serial? What was your reaction to working on that? Well, uh, in, in retrospect, I'm not so sure that I'm saying the right thing, but however, serials were not looked upon, even though this one was being done with the great Miss Billy Burke, were not looked upon with great favor by the elite that was springing up in those days amongst us, amongst cameramen, the elite of cameramen. And I rather felt that this was sort of beneath my dignity as an artist. So I was happy to get away from it. This all sounds a little dull and stupid now. However, that is the truth. So upon proving my upon proving the point that Mr. Don Bell had, been, had really set me up for, I was very happy to leave the serial making and I then took off for the West, to California. And this was as a result of a correspondence. Oh you? yes, I had been during this time. I had been corresponding with the Jesse L. Lasky Feature Play Company. The heads of that organization were Mr. Cecil DeMille, Mr. Lasky, and Mr. Samuel Goldfish, who is now Mr. Goldwyn. And through correspondence with those with with that company, I had made an arrangement whereby. They had offered me employment, which I was most happy to accept, as to work for the Jesse Alaska Feature Play Company. In those days, was the was the aim of all cameramen. In fact, everybody in motion pictures wanted to get out there. So I was, if I recall correctly, I was asked to come and report for work in nineteen in about March or April of nineteen sixteen. I did report for them, and I was. We, and then I started what per, what turned out to be a very pleasant year or two's work. Could you tell us some of the stars that you worked with out there, some of the stars and directors? And well, number one, I was that I was extremely happy and fortunate to be in contact with Mr. Cecil DeMille, although I was not his cameraman by any manner of means. He had Mr. Alvin Wyckoff, but however. On numerous occasions, I was sent over to work on his sets because in those days, Mr. DeMille used extra cameras on many occasions, so I was always always very happy and keen to be sent to his stage. Um, I did some very interesting work. I did a very interesting picture that, jo that James Young directed starring Mary Doro. It was called, it was a famous Dickens play or Dickens' book, rather, Oliver Twist. That was one picture which I was extremely proud and happy about. Other, other stars with whom I worked were Wally Reed. I think you previously mentioned uh, Lou Telligan. Oh, yes, Lou Telligan, Fanny Ward, her husband Jack Dean, and I had an, and uh, also uh, I had the, the great honor to work on many scenes that Mr. DeMille did, that Mr. DeMille directed when he made his famous picture, Joanne the Woman. Mm -hmm. I think you also mentioned how uh, working with Elliot Dexter and Marie Doro in the film, and also with Sesha Hayakawa. Oh, yes. Wife, yes, know. yes, that was, that was true. I would overlook that for a moment. Um, the, uh, I had a great, great, I had a lot of fun working with, with, the, with the Japanese stars. Hayakara and his lovely wife, Tesora Aoki. Was there more than one film that you made with him, or just one that you recall? Did you do several? I think I did. A, did, 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 did um, I think I worked on two or three pictures. Two or three. Mm -hmm. 
I believe so. We'll dig out the credits on that. Thank later. you. And I think you also uh, made something with William DeMille. Did you put him oh, yes. in the Hayakawa, one of the Hayakawa films? Yes, yes, yes. I had uh, a great opportunity working with Mr. William DeMille, who is a great man and a very fine director. Did you find that production conditions at uh, famous players were somewhat more elaborate than they had been um, either at the Biograph Studio where you made Gloria's Romance or at, on your previous method job? Were they about the same? No, I think there, there, there was an air of there was an air of great splendor at the at the at the at the Jesse Alasky company. I keep on saying the Jesse Alasky feature play company, as that was the name of it in those days. Later on, it became known as the Paramount Studios, but those days it was the Jesse Alasky feature play company. The um, there was a there was an air of a very fine air of the, around the whole studio, and the people within it, the people working there, all all took upon took on that atmosphere. I don't know whether I made my point clear or not, too clear, but it was it was a delight to work at that studio. Then I believe you were called into the Army, weren't you, and on the way... Yeah, yes, so that is true, yes. The, uh, the, 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 first war, the, the First World War at that time was on, and um, I was anxious to go into the Army like everybody else in those days, practically everybody else in those days, and uh, prior to this, though, I did go to Chicago, where I worked under the direction of William S. Van Dyke, who had just started his career as a director in those days. And we had a very delightful star by the name of Jack Gardner. He was a very prominent musical comedy man from the theater in those days. And we made two or three pictures there. Following that, I left the studio and went to join the, join up the, with the forces and I was assigned to the 27th Division of the U.S. Army. Did you do any filming at all when you were in the Army? No, I did not, with the exception of one day. The war was, uh, the war was completely over, and my division, the 27th Division, had been a member of the so-called British Fourth Army. On a particular day, the British Fourth Army was to, was to extend or to hand out certain decorations to members of the 27th Division. And it so happened that a, a few of these men who had received these decorations were friends of mine or knew of my former, former work as, in photographing. And they asked me would I please come over and photograph the, the ceremony as they would like to have a record of it for themselves. So I was only too happy to do it. That is the only photographing I did during the, during the, the so-called World War I. I think you said, Hal, that you uh, were discharged from the Army on a Tuesday in the spring of 1919, and by Wednesday you were working for the Marion Davies Company. Would you tell us a little about that? That is very true. I've always thought that I was one of, if not the most fortunate man or soldier who ever came out of the Army to leave it on one day and start working the following day. Alan Dewan was directing Marion Davies, and he was a good friend of mine, had been for quite some time, and um, prior to my being discharged, I had met him and talked with him, and he says, as soon as you're out, come on over, and you better get your hand back in the photographing business. You've been away for so long now. And he says, I'm sure we can find something for you to do. He, at that time, was directing Marion Davies over in a studio in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So as I say, I went over bright and early the following morning and reported for work, which I do, uh, which I was very happy to do, 
and I worked as an as an ad as an as an extra camera on that particular picture. Uh, who was uh, who was first camera on that? Do recall? I understand it. What's his first name? Lyman Bruning was the cameraman on it, whom I also knew, and a very fine man, a nice man. And uh, Lyman helped me and aided me a great deal and was very happy to have me around, which made my task a whole lot simpler, I can assure you. This picture, I don't, didn't have, have too many more weeks to go, but however, it sufficed in getting me back into the swing of things. And following the completion of this picture, I then very happily signed a contract with the Marion Davies Company, whereby I was going to work for a length of time on pictures to be made by this organization. Then it seems to me that uh, you cast a picture in New York, as you said, a picture to be called Buried Treasure, and you came out to California to film it. When you arrived out here, there was a question about whether you should use a certain young man in the cast. Oh, yes, that was of interest. They, they, um, in casting the picture, there was various parts in it, and there was a young man by the name of Valentino who, had, who was under consideration. And um, Norman Carey, who was the star in the picture with Miss Davies, was, a, was, a very, was very friendly with this man, Valentino. And through Norman, I met him and came to like him very much, and I, in a very small way, I can assure you, also tried to aid and abet Valentino in getting this job. However, this, the, the papers weren't signed, and there was a bit of a controversy going on, over, going on, as there was another New York actor that was being considered for the, for the picture, and it was a question whether he would get it or Mr. Valentino. It so happened that the, that the delay on, on giving Valentino an answer on the thing took so long in the meantime, another rival director by the name of Rex Ingram also was considering casting a picture known as that was later known as the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and he, in turn, was considering Valentino, and he gave Valentino an answer, an affirmative answer, prior to getting any answer at all from I, uh, from our company, and in so doing, I lost out an opportunity to photograph a picture with this man, Valentino, in it, the man who later on became one of our great, great, great stars. Uh, <clears throat> after the completion of the Marion Davies contract, then did you go um, uh, with George Lone Tucker? Is that how? Yes, Mr. Tucker had, a, had, had, a, had formed a company, and he was making a picture known as The Miracle Man, which later on became a very big success. He also had Mr. Dewan under contract, and Mr. Dewan was making the Alan Dewan Productions, and I signed up with, or rather I went to work with this company and worked directly with Mr. Dewan, and who in the meantime had appointed as an, as an, as an added director to his staff, my oldest brother, Arthur. So with Arthur directing, I photographed two or three pictures for the, for the Alan Dewan Productions. Is this at the time when you were working with uh, Mildred Harris and Betty we had, Compton? We had Mildred Harris, Betty Compton. They were the, they were the stars in those days, and uh, also Henry Walthall, who was the, who was who was a great actor, that was well known and very much beloved for his work 
in in the birth of a nation, or as he called it, the clansman. Uh, I think during this period, then, uh, you entered upon a series of films for uh, famous players, <laughs> which appeared under a division label uh, called Real Art. And you worked with Mae McAvoy and several others in that. But I meant, to, would you just uh, speak briefly about doing a special job on Mary Pickford's Through the Back Door? Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, in between my leaving the Duan organization and going to the famous players, it was called the famous players by now, um, I did odd bits of work here and there. I also did a, did a picture or two for the Louis B. Louis B. Louis B. Mayer productions. He and Mr. Mayer had started to make some independent pictures at that time. I also went over and did a bit of work with Mary Pickford. She had a, she had, there was, she had, there was two cameramen who photographed practically all of Mary's pictures. One was Mr. Walter Stradlin, the other was Charlie Rocha. These pictures were, were, were photographed in their entirety by these by these men at the, in those days, but following the completion of pictures, sometimes added scenes would be redone, and if one or two of these men were not available, if this particular photographer was not available, then I was only too happy to go over and do this work, which I did. Mary had made a picture known as Through the Back Door, and um, in the editing of it and so forth, they decided to make a few changes, which I was very happy to go over and do. I was very proud of the fact of being able to photograph the great Miss Pickford. Where did you say that those are, were photographed, Hal? Did you say on a certain estate here? Oh, yes. The, on the Through the Back Door, that was done on, uh, on the state that I think has now been more or less changed due, due to the inroads of modern civilization. There was a big estate known as the Hellman Estate. But I think that beautiful big piece of property now that at one time housed a beautiful home and a garage now consists of maybe half a dozen different homes, home sites. I think that you mentioned uh, glimpses of the moon as among your most impor important paramount pictures of this period. That was uh, issued in March of 1923. Oh yeah, the glimpse of the moon was a, was a very fine picture. Was was a, a story written by Edith Wharton, one of America's better known novelists in those days. And we had a very important cast in that. Mr. Alan Dewan directed it for Paramount, or for famous players rather, I must say. And we had uh, Nita Naldi, Bibi Daniels. David and David Powell was, and it was a very, it was an extremely important cast and a very important picture, and I'm very happy to say it turned out very successful, if I recall correctly. Then I believe you did uh, a picture for Jack Pickford Productions called Garrison's Finish. Oh yes, that was an interesting picture. And then you did uh, three pictures in a row with Gloria Swanson, Zaza, Society Scandal, and Manhandled. I wish you'd tell us a little bit about working with Gloria. Alan Dwan was the director in all three of those. Righto. Work of, Gloria was a, an extremely dynamic personality and a very lovely person and and a wonderful person to be around. She kept you keyed up. She, she herself was always keyed up, and she in turn kept you up on your toes. And it was nothing you wouldn't do to make the picture better if Gloria was in it. 
It was a real tonic and a great treat to work with her, besides being a real fine artist. She was... There was never a dull moment when she was on the screen, or when she was on the stage. Do you remember specifically working on Manhandled? Yes, a Manhandled. We had a, a situation, a comedy situation in that, that got, that got a great deal of comment in the papers and amongst in the trade in those days. It was a comedy sequence that took place, presumably, in the New York subway. We had made certain scenes in the subway stations, but in, in a subway station, but the actual scenes, the comedy routines that took place within the, within, within the car itself, we had to create and get on the stage. It was quite an innovation to build the interior of a subway car, and it had to be quite exacting in as much as in the comedy routine it consisted of people being packed in there, as they used to say in those days, like sardines in a can. So the setting had to be very rigid, and with all those people in there in this small thing, it was quite a challenge to photograph it as to where to put the lights, or where could you put the lights. However, we must have achieved some pretty good results as it, as it was very favorably received. Unfortunately, there's missing from our print a sequence which you re may remember where Gloria did a series of impersonations at a party, including one of Charlie Chaplin. Do you recall that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, Gloria was a great mimic, and she was even around the stage when she wasn't working. She was always only too happy to impersonate people that she knew or people that she knew of. And she was a great, great mimic, a great, great man, a great mimic. And in that particular picture, we had such a we had such a sequence, and it was one of the high one of was, was one of the very big high spots of the picture. I hope that someday we'll be able to restore that missing footage or print there. I hope you can, although I wouldn't know where in the world you would go to find it. <laughs> and I noticed that uh, in the middle of 1925, you worked twice with Herbert Brennan, once on the Little French Girl, and once on the uh, Street of Forgotten Men. Yes, Herbert Brennan was a very fine and well-known known director, and in those days, an opportunity to work with Mr. Brennan was greatly desired and much sought after. I was very proud of getting such an assignment. Toward the end of 1927, I'm skipping through here and just hitting the highlights, I noticed that you worked uh, several times with uh, Adolphe Manjou in Service for Ladies and the Gentlemen of Paris, and both of those films were directed by Harry Darrast, is that the way you Yes, Harry Darrast, I yeah. think, is the correct pronunciation, yeah, although what you've said is practically the same. He was a very charming man. He was a Basque from the southern France co country, and a very talented young man. And uh, working with him was a little bit different from working with, uh, working with the other directors I had been, been working with, in as much as he was a Frenchman, lately from France, and uh, I think he carried with him what we have since come to know, uh, what was then called the Continental Air. I've never been quite sure what that was, but however, it was a bit different from, from, our, from our people, and it was a lot of fun working with he and Adolf. Uh, during this period, did you have any further contact with Valentino? Was he around on the... No. No, I, th I think that I th I'm, I'm under the impression that Rex Ingram kept him so busy that he didn't have much time to visit other, comp other studios. So I didn't, see, I didn't see Valentino at all for many years. 
It was along about this time that uh, Emil Jannings came over from Europe too, wasn't it? Did you have yes, Emil Jannings was brought over over to the famous players, and he did that great picture under which which my great friend Victor Fleming directed. It was called The Way of All Flesh. Um, I did not have an opportunity to work with him, although I was a great admirer of, of, of Yannings' work, and I had the opportunity to stand around and observe him in, in many of his scenes. Did he seem to have uh, much difficulty with the language or was there any trouble? As I recall it, no. As I recall it, no. Those were in the days of prohibition, but Mr. Yannings seemed to be well supplied with beer, which <laughs> I understood came up from Mexico. And so I don't think that they, the studio had no trouble with him and uh, with whether or not he could handle the American language too well, I don't remember. But in those days, they had plenty of interpreters around him. I think also in those days at Paramount, one of the great continental stars there was Paula Negri. Did you ever work with her? Yes, Paula? yes, I had the great opportunity to work with her. She was fabulous, startling and really exciting. Then I believe uh, one assignment was uh, quite a bit of fun for you. That was Gentlemen Prefer Blonde. Ah, yes, that delightful story that would have been written and published was a big success as a book by Anita Luce. And um, Mal St. Clair had been assigned to direct it, and we eventually I was put on it as the cameraman. And the making of that picture, that was one of my highlights in those days because that was fun from start to finish. And we turned out with a very good product, and it was a picture that was very well and happily received. In 1928, you worked three times with uh, the director, uh, Joseph von Sternberg, making The Dragnet, The Docks of New York, and The Case of Lena Smith. Would you speak a little how about working with von Sternberg, with particular yes. reference to Docks of New York? Yes, I'm happy to do it. Joe had come along and he had made a picture or two prior to the time I went to work with him, and he had, he had skyrocketed up to, into prominence. He was a very exciting man, and a, and a man who had a great knowledge of photography, and he had a greater knowledge, or he had a, 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 a greater... Wait a minute. He had a... He had a And he was, a, he was a thorough believer in good photography and enjoyed it, liked it, and demanded it and was most helpful to the cameraman. So when I had the opportunity to work with Joe, I did this with, I look forward to this with, with great pleasure and in the final results I must say that what I look forward to was achieved. In the making of the docks in New York, it was a picture of the that was made along the waterfronts, and we utilized, I do rather imagine, for the first time to a great extent, the use of fog. And this is all very startling and exciting. One of America's great photographers, Edward Station, was at that time visiting in California, and he had access to the studio, and he spent many hours on our set. And I had the opportunity of talking with Mr. Station on many, many occasions, and he was greatly intrigued by the by our use usage of fog. He thought the results that we were trying to obtain and were obtaining, he felt very sure would be startling and would give a great deal of comment. This, I'm happy to say, did. Was there a particular system of lighting that was worked out for those von Sternberg 
strong as hell. That differed from what you've been doing before. Yes, I would I would say so. In 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 retrospect, now looking back, Joe was a great believer in a single source light, and when I went to work with him, he outlined this at great length to me, and also gave me he had many photographs, paintings, and so forth, all of which upon which his his theory was based. So he told me this is what he would like to have. And, in fact, he wanted it very, very definitely. And he did not mind people leaving light and walking off into shadows. In those early days, to lose a person photographically was something that was not looked upon with favor by the, by the heads of the studios. But Joe insisted upon this idea of people, when they, when they turn into the light, they should be lit up and if by chance they had their back to the light it was not necessary to completely illuminate their faces so Joe was revolutionary Joe's ideas were quite revolutionary in many many respects and it was certainly intriguing and exciting for a cameraman to do and I had great fun working with Joe thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it did the actors find the system of lighting disconcerting or were they willing to follow right along well, you see, there's so much spill light that I'm not too sure that they were fully conscious of the fact that they were going to be quite in such a heavy shadow that they might, that they eventually turned out to be in on the screen. I don't think that they were, they were, uh, they were too conscious of that on the stage. I don't think that it affected their work or their thinking at all. In 1928, toward the end of the year, you worked on a famous New York. Well, I should say world stage success called A.B. Diary's Rose. Would you remark a little about that? Ah, yes, that was a, that was a highlight in my career. Victor Fleming directed it, and the author of the play, Miss Nichols, Anne Nichols, was on the stage a great deal. She co-produced it, if I recall correctly. And we had a number of the people in the, in the original cast or one of the original cats, I must say the original, one of the originals, because it had run so many years in New York City, that exactly who the original players were, I do not know. And I dare say there were a lot of other people who did not know also. But however, we had some people from the theater, and the making of this picture was a very important one. The, the, this, this picture was a, was a very important one, and a great deal of consideration was given to it by the entire studio. We had an interesting thing about this, about this particular picture. We had completed it. That is, we had completed the filming of it on the stage when a picture had been released by the Warner Brothers and shown in, in their theater, which was the first singing or talking picture that had ever been released in this day and age. This created quite a bit of consternation and through the business into a bit of a turmoil. In other words, where are we going to now? Was the day of silent pictures over? And was this a new era opening? It was, a, it was quite a controversial subject. And there was an awful lot of pros and cons on the subject. Uh, we, as I, as, I, as I stated earlier, we had finished the completion of the filming of our picture, but the powers that be decided to reopen it to go back on the stage, which we did, 
and in a few instances we redid some scenes in which sounds, voices, and singing were recorded and photographed at the same time. This was my initial introduction to what we now know as, which we now call a sound picture. Carl, when you were working with sound in these early years, did you have difficulties with, uh, with a camera, with mic placement, and with one thing or another, did you iron out those problems for you? Well, it's true, there, there were some difficulties arose, some unpleasantnesses arose, but they were quickly ironed out, and uh, the limitations that were put upon the camera by certain, shall I say, sound engineers, although I'm not sure that's the right place to, uh, to say, say put, to attempt to put a blame. However, they quickly ironed themselves out, and in a very short length of time, we experienced no difficulties as far as the photographing was concerned. I think toward the end of 1929, you worked twice with Lenore Albrecht, the great Velasco stage star. Oh yes! By this time, I had I had I had, uh, I had uh, wandered away from the from the famous players' lot, and I had gone over to the Fox Studio, where Alan Dewan was, and um, he had uh, the the Fox Studio had engaged Mr. Dewan to do a couple of pictures or do a series of pictures, featuring starring Miss Lena Ulrich from the theater, and she came out, and she was a very interesting person, of course, a brilliant artist. And it was a lot of fun working with her. She knew nothing at all about picture technique. And uh, it was fun watching her adapt herself to it, which she did very quickly and very competently. Then after uh, an independent job with uh, seems to be some art wide world, you signed with MGM, where you remained for years and years and years. I think you started out with This Mad World, directed by William DeMille, and then you did uh, several pictures with Cecily DeMille, did you not beginning with Mad um, I would like to say yes to both those, although it's, 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 I, I can't truthfully say yes to the latter. By that I mean I had the great pleasure of, of photographing two of Mr. Cecil DeMille's pictures. He, One of them was called the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Madam Satan. Madam Satan. Which was a which was a most interesting picture and a very brilliant thing and and uh, was most intriguing. There was a lot of new innovations tried out in it in the way of settings. And in all in all, that was that was a that was a very interesting picture to work on. And thank the good Lord that turned out successful. Later on, I had the opportunity to to photograph a remake of Mr. DeMille's original picture uh, from the play The Squaw Man. This too was most interesting to do, and uh, it was com and in comparing it with with his previous effort, this one greatly outranked the early one. I stayed with the MGM studio from 1930 up until 1953. A lot of people seem to think that I grew up and lived with the M with the MGM studio. I was there long enough to take on that aspect. But I had an awful lot of fun and good times at that studio. In 1931, for the first time in quite a while, you were working with a foreign director, 
Jacques Feder, do you recall that experience in Son of India? Oh yes, he came over and um, he directed a picture in which Myrna Loy and Raymond Navarro were starred. He was very interesting. He was a, he's a very, very nice man, and uh, his English was very good. And with the one or two words in French that I knew, we got along famously and had no trouble to, from a language standpoint. Was his wife along at that time? Yes. Yes, she came over. She did not work in that picture, but later on I did photograph a picture or two in which she played in. She was a brilliant artist. And we all fondly remember Tarzan the Ape Man, <coughs> which was made in 1932, apparently. And then uh, in the, s the summer of 1932, you did the first of quite a series of pictures with Gene Harlow. Yes, that is true. The, um, the, the, the Tarzan picture was the original picture made of the Tarzan series by MGM. And then later on, following that or a short time after that, I was called in to work on a picture known as the uh, as a Red Dust. I think there was Red Dust. I think it was the first picture that I photographed in which Miss Harlow was. Redheaded woman. Oh, Redheaded woman. Red I beg. Ah, uh, red. Yes, yeah, red, yes. Yes. Uh, the. I beg. What? I was called in to photograph a picture called the Redheaded Woman, which was one of the earliest successes that Miss Harlow enjoyed. And uh, following that, over over a period of the next few years. I photographed many of her pictures, and I'm very happy to say that they turned out quite brilliantly and quite well. Was Bombshell as enjoyable to make as it is to watch on the Oh, I think, was, <laughs> I think it was more fun to make than it was to watch, because we had a wonderful cast in that, and Vic Fleming, who did that, gosh, he was, he was at his best in those days. And it was just one, well, it was, you were almost ashamed on, on Saturdays to walk up to the pay, to, to the pay window and receive your check because you'd had had such a good time. <laughs> there are many films that I'm skipping over which are very well known in the annals of film history. I noticed Treasure Island, which was released in uh, the summer of 1934. And I think possibly toward the end of this year, you went to Europe, did you not, Hal? Yes, I went to Europe in the, in the, in the summer of 34 where from 34 to 39, I spent more time in Europe photographing than I, working than I did in America. Although it was not a continuous thing, I would go back and forth. I, um, it was hardly a year went by that I didn't make a trip over and back. It was a lot of fun doing that, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and uh, we had good time, the pictures were good, and it was a lot of fun working in a foreign country. I did these pictures both for MGM, and they had made arrangements. Not only did MGM make pictures over there that I photographed, but also they in turn made arrangements whereby I was to work on an arrangement they had made with Alexander Corder, which was a thrilling thing and a and most interesting engagement for me. Some of the pictures I did with Mr. Corder turned out to be very interesting, very successful. For instance, there was one, the first one was the Scarlet Pimpernel, and that received great acclaim. Then I had the opportunity to, to work with Rainy Clare, who was a brilliant Frenchman, who's still making brilliant pictures now, and he, and in those days he was, he was just as brilliant then as he is now. We did a picture called The Ghost Goes West, 
which was a lot of fun and a lot of exci and good excitement and a, a brilliant picture, and a picture that I think when it's run these days, which it is fairly often on the television screen, is very well received and liked. In 1936, you filmed The Garden of Allah in color. Would you tell us a little about that film? Oh, yes. That was, that was good. Uh, I returned from England, and uh, my home studio, MGM, didn't have a, a bit of work for me to do right then, so they in turn sent me over to, the, to Mr. Selznick, who was then getting ready to film The Garden of Allah. This was in color. I had never worked in color before. I'd all, all my work up to this time had been in black and white. So I protested originally, as I, I thought I should have a lot of time to make very necessary tests. But time was short, but Mr. Selznick, the picture was he, it scheduled. He had to go into production almost immediately. When I say immediately, I refer to the time that I had arrived at his studio. And so I explained to him my lack of knowledge of color, but he said, oh, you just go on down and you, you can do it. I'm sure we have great confidence and faith in you. Don't you worry. So with that statement having been made, I then proceeded. We, went, we started on location down at Yuma, Arizona, and I then started to work for the first time in color. Well, naturally, as soon as the day's work was completed and was sent up to the laboratory, the Technicolor Laboratory, by airplane, I was on the phone every minute of practically all the nights of the early nights, getting reports. How was the film? What, was I anywhere near? Was I doing anything correct and so forth? And I was very happy to find out that seemingly what I was doing was correct, or correct to a marked extent. This was uh, we we finally completed this picture, and it was the most interesting thing to do, and it was as I as I've already stated was my introduction into color, and from that day to this, although I had done numerous pictures in black and white, I would like, from a personal standpoint, to only work in color, because I think that is the medium that all pictures should be made in. Following the completion of this picture, I am happy to say that when the Oscar awards were handed out, this picture received for the first time a color award. It was not given the so-called Oscar because in those days, they did not recognize an Oscar for a color picture. But I was given what was termed an award of merit, for which I'm very happy and proud and occupies a prominent spot in my little library. The following year, the Oscars, an, an Oscar was awarded for the color picture and has been every year from that date on. In 1937, you made the famous Captain's Courageous film. Were there problems there in getting many of those magnificent sea shots? Yes, there were many problems there. But um, I would like nothing better than to say that all those magnificent sea shots were the result of my camera work, but however, they were not. On that particular picture, we had numerous cameramen who were scouring the various seas. MGM had sent a camera crew up to the Grand Banks off Newfoundland, of which I was not a member. They had also had a camera crew down in the Mexican waters, of which I was not a member. And they would also had another camera crew down off of Florida to capture certain scenes. My work on that, of which I'm most proud and happy about, was practically the was was limited to scenes done in the waters 
off Catalina Island and, of course, all the studio work. That was a great picture, and um, I do believe it was one of my great highlights. In fact, I know of no... Uh, I, 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 as I look back at my picture work, I can think of no, no picture that I've ever worked on that gave... That, uh, that I have received a greater sense of self-satisfaction from than I have from that one. In 1939, you made a picture that many of us remember most fondly, and that was The Wizard of Oz. Ah, yes, that was... As, as, as I think back now of what we've been talking about, I've been a very fortunate man in which I have worked on many happy pictures. Certainly The Wizard of Oz was one of the most happiest and turned out well, thank the good Lord, and I notice now that when the holidays roll around, around the Christmas Christmas time, the studio Jenny reissues that picture for an, for another run. It's such a happy picture, and it's and I think it will turn out. I think it will continue to be happy for many, 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 many years to come. I sincerely hope so. Your record is full of so many fine pictures from this point on, Hal. I wonder if you just take over and speak in particular about certain personalities in certain films that have meant a great deal to you. Ah. Well, nothing stands out more in my thoughts than my wonderful association with the many pictures that I photographed starring Clark Gable. Clark's a great fellow, good friend of mine, good pal, and in the many, many, many pictures that I had that I photographed with him, such as Boomtown, Honky Tonk, The Hucksters, Command Decision, Homecoming, and many others, each and every one was a great delight. He's just wonderful to work with, wonderful to be around, and an inspiration to any cameraman, particularly to me, to at all times to do my utmost, my very, very best. In fact, there are times when I think one's best is not enough to give to Clark for what he gives to you. Another, another personality that comes to my mind is John Houston. I had the opportunity of working with him on two pictures that he directed. One was called Asphalt Jungle, which turned out to be of great interest to me, and and Fortune was, a, I believe, a big success, a good success. Also a picture called The Red Badge of Courage. The Red Badge of Courage, I, I particularly liked that because that was a story dealing with the Civil War. And one day Houston said to me, how can we get the feeling of the Brady type of photography? By Brady, I mean the man who was so world-renowned for his photographs of the actual scenes of the Civil War. Well, upon being asked this, I made a date one day with Emery Hughes, who was the, who was the representative of the Eastman Kodak Company out here on the West Coast, and I went down to see Emery, and I talked to him. I told him I wanted to see him, and I asked him about this request on Houston's part. And I had, a, had a, a, a wild idea of attempting to photograph it in the old orthochromatic film. I wasn't sure whether this was a good idea or not. But anyhow, I did have that idea, and I wanted to get Emery's opinion on it. 
Emery did not lean too kindly to that. He thought I would be better off if I would utilize the great advances and steps that had been made by the Eastman Kodak Company in the manufacturing of their new films, because the orthochromatic film was a film that was used in the old, old days. He thought if I would that I would achieve better results if I would take their, their present film and try to give it an old-world effect. After thinking over what Emery suggested to me, I arrived at the decision that he was on the right track. So, in, this, in the photograph of this, of this picture, I attempted to do what I thought was a little bit unusual, and certainly was intriguing to attempt. I used no lights on the, on the making of this entire picture, with the exception of an, of an incident or two that took place at night. Nine-tenths of this picture was exteriors, and what I attempted to do in that picture, the results I attempted to get in that picture were achieved this way. Whereas we formerly used reflectors and lights, I brought that down to an absolute minimum, eliminating lighting, eliminating lights, and what I, what I did to a marked extent, I stretched bobbinets and, sh and shade cloth over vast areas to try to reduce the, the intensive sun so that I got a closer balance between that and the shadows without filling in the shadows. That is how that picture was photographed. And, I, and I'm very proud of the results in it. The general public may not be too, may, may not may not look too kindly towards it. May cut may not look may, may not feel too kindly towards it, but I think I do believe that photographers will see in it a little something different. And knowing how it was done, and now knowing how it was done, they I, I do believe that they that they that results obtained will be more to their liking. And it's a little bit along the lines of the Brady, of the results that Mr. Brady obtained. I found it of great fun, and I'm very happy to have been able to work in it. And with John Houston directing, I got great help and great support from him. Anything I wanted to try, there was never any question about, oh, you better not do that. It was, in fact, a pat on the back and go to it. So that was a most happy happy um, uh, combination. It, it, it seems a little bit selfish on my part not to mention many, many people at the MGM studio, but because I could go on forever and name probably all in, the, all in the studio with whom I worked in and was aided and abetted by. But with these two, and oh, I must say one thing because I see my friend George over here smiling at me. He had mentioned earlier, I must say something about a picture called Singing in the Rain. That was a lot of fun, and incidentally, a lot of water ran during the making of that picture. Gene Kelly, as you know, was starred in it, and uh, he was delightful, and of course, his singing and dancing of the, 
of the number known as Singing in the Rain was a sheer delight, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Following my work there at the MGM studio, I eventually left the studio in 53, and I spent all of 53 and a good part of 54 in Rome, where I went over to work for the Ponte de Laurenti Company, where I met that fascinating woman and a very superb actress, the Italian girl, Silvana Mangano. I had the great pleasure of photographing her in two pictures. One, Ulysses, which starred Silvana, Kirk Douglas, and our own Anthony Quinn, was a very pretentious effort, and a very big effort, and a very costly one. And I do hope and pray that it, 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 that it was a financial success. I don't know about how, how, how big a, success, a financial su success it was in this country, but I do know that in Europe it met with great acclaim. That was well worth doing, and I enjoyed every moment of it. I followed that. Following that, I photographed a picture called Mambo, also starring Silvana, and that was done with some of our own people. In Mambo... It was, it was uh, even though we were in, in Rome, we, we, it, was, it was a bit of Hollywood there because in the picture we had Michael Rennie, Shelley Winters, Catherine Dunham, and Victoria Gossman, the Italian, who had also worked in Hollywood. So this was a little bit of Hollywood transferred to the Tiber. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, that picture in turn turned out interesting. One thing of uh, which was which was m most extraordinary. It was made during the winter months, and the exteriors were photographed up in Venice, Italy. Very few people, certainly tourists, ever go to Italy, uh, ever go to Venice in the wintertime. Venice is generally shown and thought about in the wonderful summertime. So seeing it, seeing four inches of snow on St. Marco's Square was really something. And I don't think I've ever been in a colder spot in all my life than I was in Venice, Italy. However, that's beside the, that's beside the point of making the picture. We had a lot of fun on it, and I do think that that met with, with, with a fair success. I returned to this country and went out to the Warner Brothers studio to make some pictures, which was a, which was a very interesting thing and a very pleasant experience for me. There, I worked with Mervyn Leroy directing a picture called A Strange Lady in Town starring Greer Garson and Dana Andrews. That was followed by a most interesting picture called The Bad Seed, which was a very big Broadway success. Um, we, then the, 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 we had practically the entire New York cast that came out to do that. And that was, a, was most interesting, and it turned out to be a very fine and a very good picture. One of, our, one of our biggest stars in, in, in the picture world today, on, on the male side, is Bill Holden. Bill starred in a picture under Mervyn's direction called Toward the Unknown. It was a story that was made up at the Edwards Air Base. The exteriors were made up at the Edwards Air Base, which is our fascinating air center 
a test center up in the Mojave Desert. While up there, certain scenes in the picture called for Bill to be shown flying the plane that was known that was known as the X-2. This is the plane that has set all airspeed records up to date. It has gone over. It is it is stated that it that it did better than 2,100 miles an hour. To see this little plane was a sheer delight. It was a very small plane, and to think of it and to think of it making these fantastic speeds capable of making these fantastic speeds was just fascinating and I enjoyed every moment that we did that I did uh, and I enjoyed every moment working on this picture with Bill and the X2 that brings us pretty well up to date Helen well yes Following this, fo following this, I did two pictures with for the Warner Brothers. I photographed two pictures for the Warner Brothers, starring that great co that great comedian Andy Griffith. One picture, the first picture was No Time for Sergeants, his great New York success, his great New York play. I had the pleasure of seeing the uh, of seeing the play on two different occasions in New York City, and not only did I, but the audience have a wonderful time watching it. I have every reason to believe that when the picture audiences see this play, the fun and the pleasure they will derive will far exceed that which was enjoyed the, enjoyed by those in the audience who saw the play. And a later picture did with, with uh, did with Andy was is called Onion Head, an unusual name, an odd name. But that is the story of the of the of the um, Coast Guard as a Coast Guard background. This too is a very funny and a very uproarious comedy, and I have great hopes that when these two, two these two pictures are will be, are released, that there'll be a whole lot more laughter and fun in the world than we have been able to enjoy of late. Thank you so very much, Hal Rawson, for giving generously of your time to make this excellent tape.